10,000 feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three oars rip right round your jugular. Three oars rip right round your jugular. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, in our feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we will be discussing a roundup of current event topics and just sort of chit-chatting because we haven't talked to each other in quite a while. But first, Melody, let's start this chit-chat with some catching up. How are you? I'm doing really well. I finished my semester. I submitted my grades. That feels very good. I have some processing to do. Yeah. about this past school year. Yeah. I, you know, just some things, lots of th- I haven't even like told you all the things really. I've kept it brief, but uh nothing like horrendous or anything for the listeners out there, but just, you know, it feels like it's a good time to reflect upon my labor and mm-hmm. how I can do things differently to take more care of myself mm-hmm. and not other pe- other people all the time. Yeah. Besides that, I'm very excited for the summer, like I said before, like, I don't like summer, but I like time. watching. Yes. yes. I like the time. I like being able to read books that I want to read. I yes. like drawing. I like going to coffee shops for no reason. I like helping my partner out with his tree work. He likes to take side jobs in the neighborhood, and then I go mm-hmm. help him out, and mm-hmm. then he pays me some money. That's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually, like, he would just be like, make me dinner when I come home. And I'd be like, okay, no problem. What do you want? Pork chops and rice? Is that okay? <laughs> I'd be like, mm, yeah, but don't burn them like you did last time. And I'm like, okay. But now he's actually giving me some money, like a couple dollars. So it's been. <laughs> I hope new listeners know that that was all your lovely, lovely sarcasm. Because you don't eat pork chops mostly. Yeah, because I'm and because Robert's so not obviously a it's a patriarch. <laughs> <laughs> um... Cool. Yeah, I know. I know it's been quite a year for you. And I'm glad that uh, the summer will give you some space for for processing. Yes. Thank you to therapy and tarot card reading. Mm -hmm. Stuff is no joke. Mm -hmm. Yes. But in all seriousness, though, about today, I felt like pretty badass because I was I got to operate a wood chipper. Amazing. Yeah. So I was like, doing manual labor. I really like doing manual labor because it's a workout. And also, I just feel I don't know, it's just something different to do with my yep. brain than what I usually do. So it's totally. Good. Yes. Cool. So that that's about it. How about you? Uh, I'm okay. It's also been like a week of processing. Uh, I, not a particularly different update from last time we talked. But, um, you know, I'm in this process of moving and just all the feelings that come along with leaving a state I've been in for five years that I've never loved Boston. That's not a secret to anybody, but it has been my home for five years and and there's a lot of feelings attached to leaving it and to the place where we're headed. So I'm, yeah, processing that. Alaska is next week. So excited slash sort of a little stressed about getting everything together for that. But otherwise, pretty normal week. I subbed a lot of yoga classes, did a lot did a lot of applying for jobs. So just pretty basic. And also I've been reading the news, which has been <laughs> full of full of all the things. So I'd love to I'd love us to shift gears because again, we really haven't talked to each other about stuff that's going on like presently in a while. But first there to sort of begin this current event roundup. Uh, there's, of course, always tragedy, but we thought we would take a quick moment of silence for the, what is it, 28th school shooting of this year so far? Oh, I need to I need to fact check that really quick. Shout out to, once again, Dr. Ruth DeFoster for her insight on this. So when there's a, when it's technically a quote unquote, like school shooting, they also count if a gun, anytime a gun has been discharged around a certain area of a school. So technically, if we're talking about the mass shootings that happened at Parkland and now in uh, Santa Fe, Texas, there's only been five of those. Okay. The 22 is like a gun gets discharged across the street from the school. Got it. Um, and so Dr. Ruth DeFoster, you can follow her on Twitter, actually, and she tweets some amazing stuff about this, but she had a Twitter thread this morning about about this actual thing. And so- okay. 
Just to, yeah. So that's the fifth, like this kind of school shooting. Yeah. Those other numbers that, that the 22 is basically symbolizing like how often gun violence happens in and around okay. schools. Okay. Got it. So, yeah. um, but five is too many, one is too many, all that of good course. stuff. So, of course. Yeah. Yep. So the school shooting, yes. Yeah. So we thought we'd just pause and be sad about it. Okay. Thanks, listeners. You know, we we did a whole episode on sort of gun violence more broadly, but there's it's there's just it's tough to know what to say after another event like this. So we're not going to spend really any more time today talking about it, but we did just want to acknowledge it. Also, just another sad thing that I would like to there was a plane crash in Cuba, and I just want to sort of send sympathy out to the folks in Cuba who have passed. I think there were only not that many survivors. I don't want to give a number because I don't know the last update. But one of the reasons that uh, you know a Cuban insider discussed is that the planes that they are able to build after being embargoed from the the U.S. and and a lot of the Western world we're not always in great shape. So there is, uh, this is not a completely apolitical tragedy. The, the embargo is, is a factor in, in this, in this recent crash. So I just want to make a note about that as well. That's some sad stuff. Some people would say that another thing that happened today in the news, the Royal Wedding is less sad. And then a bunch of leftists, myself included would say, fuck the Royal Wedding because fuck the British empire and fuck imperialism. But then some other leftists of color would be like, can you white people just like let this like black woman have a minute to be happy and Mm -hmm. watch our amazing black minister fucking give a badass sermon at the fucking royal wedding? And I will be like, oh, yeah, yes, I will. I will be quiet. So that's been my process of the royal wedding. And to the point that I watched some videos and was actually like moved to tears. It was very sweet. And also fuck imperialism, of course. Any thoughts on the royal wedding from you, correspondent? I don't really like weddings, so <laughs> I don't. I find the obsession with the wedding very interesting. I will not judge anybody who gets involved in the British or these royal weddings. I just find it fascinating, like what things American culture gloms onto. And so I think this wedding is one of them, mm-hmm. uh, especially because we're so we're so isolating in terms of like just celebrating our own culture, but we get really into this royal wedding. So that's fine. I paid slight attention to it because um, of who Megan is and the sermon. And I also, okay, I won't lie. I did click on a picture of her dress. I did analyze her dress. I also analyzed the crown that she was wearing. She had a little headband on, not a little headband. It was like full of diamonds yeah. that she got that uh queen elizabeth ii i think mm-hmm. it, it's her headband diamond headband it's probably not called a, a tiara i think that's what they call yeah, it yeah there we go <laughs> so i did i did check that out i also did watch the clip where this is so horrible i don't even know the guy's name prince harry no print that's the husband prince. the that's the husband or charles the other the other one the brother megan mary harry harry okay i was right so when Prince Harry was like being all sweet to her mm-hmm. at the vows and stuff, so I watched a couple of those yeah. gifts. But I literally like that's my extent. I'm just not into weddings, so yeah. that's but I get it. She had a cool dress on, sermon sounded awesome. That's yeah, that, it. I have nothing interesting to say about it. Yeah. No, I I'm just I th- it I think it's interesting too from a media studies perspective. There was a lot of comparisons i think in media studies about and in you know popular discourse about i think some somebody wrote the coverage of princess die was sort of like they link that to the phenomenon of the kardashians and just celebrity culture in general oh. and um so it's it's interesting to think about the british fam- the royal family as a version of the kardashians because of the celebrity obsession so there's that congrats to the happy couple may you do as little exploitation as possible megan seems pretty chill so yeah i i know nothing of her that was just a big assumption oh i will the (laughs) other thing that i was thinking about with the wedding though is the phenomenon of being born a celebrity you know so he was born into the royal family Mm -hmm. and like how weird that must be like what is it 
what is that? What is that? Like to be born blue ivy? Completely right. Yeah, no, exactly. And you don't you have no choice. And 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 to lose a parent in that context, the way that he did, I was just, you know, thinking about literally seeing your, your parents death all over everything. I can't I mean, I'm not trying to yeah. cry a river for gajillionaires who are part of problematic processes. But that sounds fucking terrible. In a lot mm-hmm. of ways. So yeah, yeah. Okay, go monogamous wedding. <laughs> right. Love it. Love it. It's our favorite. She, she did look really pretty, though. And yeah. she had like, Okay, I'll say one more thing. <laughs> I liked her makeup too. It was like it's pretty. Really, it was really cool. Like not over. Well, I just like personally. Are you makeup shaming, makeup. Melody? What if no? You I was about to go. <laughs> <laughs> J.K. I know. Yeah, people look beautiful with any amount of makeup on. Yes. Do your own makeup <laughs> thing. I love it all. I just. Yeah. I was like, oh, she looks nice. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. even I did. Okay. I'm just being honest. Here. This is another thing, and I promise international listeners, non-U.S. listeners, we really, really want to get more of your voices on the show. Um, that's We haven't forgotten about that, but this would be a very another very interesting thing to hear from our, our listeners in the U.K. and anywhere, anywhere else uh, outside of the U.S. We'd be curious also to know. So maybe I can start a Facebook thread about it on our group. There's that. Moving on to back to tragedy. We haven't talked about Palestine since the most recent mass killing on behalf of the Israeli Defense Forces. So I'm curious, Mel, is there an SJP? Is there a Students for Justice in Palestine at your college? Oh, heck no. No? Okay. No, 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 no. But we did have some Palestinian-related vandalism happen. Mm. We have a Muslim Student Association that acts as the support system for the Palestinian students. And I know a lot of Palestinian students at school, Mm -hmm. but we don't have any sort of group like that. Okay. Did you have them at the places that you've taught? Um, I believe there. Well, definitely DePaul. I I was introduced. So I taught at DePaul as a master's Mm -hmm. student. And that's where I went for my undergrad. They have an amazing... Students for Justice in Palestine group. I was introduced to them right when I started becoming a, an activist when I started school. Um, and we always did a lot of sort of solidarity work with them as the DePaul Students Against the War group. And um, they were they were re- a really incredible group of motivated and action-oriented students. Um, I don't remember if minnesota had one i would have to believe they did oh they did no yeah. we have one yeah. yeah um but then the last place i taught did not the small catholic college that i taught at did not so why do you ask oh i was just curious i, I couldn't okay. remember you were you were finishing up I, th- I thought maybe you had been in classes and if anything had happened it just seems like you have really you know students respond to things you know a lot at your school which is cool so i just didn't know if there was any any discussion um So, I mean, there's not a ton to say. I I think for me, it feels important. We've never had an episode explicitly about Palestine. I think it's come up on and off. But I I think I just wanted to remind listeners who maybe don't feel quite as knowledgeable about the history of all of this, because I certainly knew very little until I actively tried to look into it because, you know, the U.S. media doesn't, doesn't give us a lot of context for a lot of this. I think I just wanted to say that because I think I did, I did a lot of very explicit Instagram posting uh, around around the shootings, and that can feel a little nerve wracking. And our friend of the show, Lacrista Greco, who runs a very large social media site, Guerrilla Feminism, talks about anytime she posts sort of pro Palestine stuff, she gets comments accusing her of being anti Semitic, and I, it felt important, I guess, to say like. And I'll speak for myself and Mel, you can chime in however you want. It just felt important to say that sort of unapologetic pro-Palestine sentiment is is not, <laughs> does not mean anti-Jewish people. Um, I would say I'm not pro-Israel because Israel's done a lot of really fucked up shit to the Palestinian people whose land I believe, it, you know, it belongs to. And what is really infuriating to me, and I think one reason that I hold it really close to my heart, I wrote about this in our newsletter this week, is that it it is just such a perfect symbol of uh, the way that hegemony works because the U.S. 
feeds U.S. people that we're supposed to be allies with Israel, and that Israel is our friends, and we support Israel, and we arm Israel. And because of that, Palestinians are consistently dehumanized in ways that we're supposed to think that their deaths don't matter as much. And, you know, there's people in Black Lives Matter have made this comparison, you know, for there was a big solid, you know, there were protest lines in Ferguson and in Palestine saying Ferguson for Palestine and Palestine for Ferguson. You know, there, there are connections to the, the ways in which entire, an entire population of people is constructed as less than human and not as in, you know, that their lives don't matter as much. And Palestinians like black folks in the U.S. have been constructed to, to be seen as, as less valuable. And when there's literally state-sanctioned killing, so if you aren't familiar with the event that happened, I mean, soldiers opened fire on a like a pro like a like just people in the street. It would be like people at a women's march being gunned down. It's like Kent State back in the uh, what was that '67? I think people gunned down and people lost their shit over it because you can't fucking gun down nonviolent protesters, right? And even if then people are going to argue Palestinians are violent. I would come back with sort of Franz Fanon-esque response that, you know, colonized people can't be violent because they're already being violenced upon, so they're acting in self-defense always. But regardless, this protest in particular, there was, I mean, pe- the people who died were could have been just, you know, marching the way anybody marches at a, at a woman's march in the U.S., you know, pretty, you know, I don't know. So that's just... That's it's wild <laughs> that 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 there's not more. Um, it's not wild. It makes perfect sense that there's not more outrage from like the U.S. community, but that's what we're up against. Is like it was okay that 58 people, I think that's the final number, something around there, over 50 people, were gunned down in a group, and that was state ordered, like the state re- requested that people be murdered. So I that's where I'm at for recommended resources. If you don't get the newsletter, which I'll put this in, um, Norman Finkelstein is a person I feel privileged to have been at the same school. He's a professor when I was at school at DePaul. He got denied tenure because he's explicitly pro-Palestine. He's a really amazing Jewish anti-Zionist. His parents were Holocaust survivors, and he does some really good work um, on – he was just on Democracy Now! gave a really good interview about – how to hold those two things. Uh, and um, so I'd recommend people look look into some of Norman Finkelstein's work. So a few things that I wanted to add. The first thing about the, if you're pro-Palestinian, you're anti-Semitic. When we had a, a vandalism situation on campus this semester involving somebody who like literally scratched out Palestine from the map in a in our multiculturalism office, we one of the responses was that we made ribbons with the Palestinian colors, and the president of my school asked me if he thought that 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 he asked it very vaguely, and he wasn't he was he was just worried that like if we're kind of the same situation, like okay, well if we're going to wear ribbons, is that going to make other people feel alienated, like you know Jewish people? Mm-hmm. And I sent a couple texts to my friends who are Jewish, but also politically righteous in mm-hmm. our regard, and posed them the question. And they said, absolutely not. Meaning like, if you wore the ribbon, most Jewish people would not see it as a Palestinian flag support equals, we don't like you Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Um, in that like, first off, there's a lot of Jewish people that are pro-Palestinian. Right. And it tends to be the more Orthodox Jews that are very firm on their belief that Jewish people state claim to Jerusalem as their sacred space. Mm-hmm. Uh, those people are the ones that are off. They often make that claim that if you're going to be pro-Palestinian, then you're anti-Judaism, basically. And so from what I gathered, and I'm not Jewish, but asking around and even in us wearing our ribbons, like there wasn't a response from our Jewish students saying mm-hmm. like, that's really offensive. And I I feel like that's a way to just silence people who are pro-Palestinian by saying like, well, then you're going to be against the Jews and right. you can't be against the Jews because they were persecuted, persecuted too. And the whole history of this fight, although it started in the 70s about the specific land, the context for it goes back centuries. Yeah. But as it is in its current state, it is not 
you can be pro there's plenty like i said there's plenty of pro palestinian jewish people right um and it's more about how the military is responding to the palestinian people yes. than judaism as a whole completely completely yes absolutely which is yeah very important distinction like israel as a state does not represent Judaism, like I mean, I'm just repeating exactly what you said, but yeah, I think it's an important. Yeah, point. but that's important for people yeah. to remember because then we don't need to be stereotyping Jewish people as like being anti-Palestinian. Of it, course, it, yeah, right. So like, we shouldn't. Nobody should be assuming that to begin with, right? But then also the I wanted to follow up on the statement about uh, what is the Israeli army was responding to on the Palestinian side. Mm -hmm. And I know that there were a few Palestinians, probably more than a few, like throwing rocks, you know, like so oftentimes Palestinian people will like throw things back. They'll throw rocks, they'll throw bricks, they'll throw, you know, if they're getting gas, they'll throw the gas cans back. Mm -hmm. But when I was reading all of that, it's like, okay, well, none of that behavior necessitates anybody being killed. Exactly. And so we saw that in the Black Lives Matter protests yep. here, too, like, you know, taking over, you know, barricading, putting up barricades, throwing. There was lots of, like, I don't want to say violence because violence, there's so many different that, – that's on a spectrum, right? Yep. But I would say non-lethal, fairly minimum – I'm sorry? Self-defense. Yeah, self-defense. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, you know, it's empowering. I understand that it, it feels empowering to be throwing non – lethal things at the people in power, right? So I don't think that a protester throwing rocks in anger of their land being taken over or in the American context of their neighbors and community members being killed by the police, that doesn't necessitate anybody being shot. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They're they're not – the Israeli army, just like the police here, they're not being – in these protests, they're not being threatened with lethal force. And – right. That gets lost in the conversation when we're like, but the ambulances or, you know, well, the Palestinians were. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Worst argument ever. Right. About a protest. So I just wanted to clarify that, too, that they were some people were being violent, but the violence is so it's non-lethal. It was just throwing rocks. and. They don't have anything besides that. Right. Because they're not being uh, fucking armed by the U.S. So, yeah. Yep. Right, right. And I would say to another resource, I've mentioned this on air before, but there's this amazing documentary called Five Broken Cameras. Mm-hmm. And it's from the Palestinian perspective. And when I played it in my intercultural communication class, my students were like, they were just, they learned about the history, but they also weren't aware of like really what the Palestinian life was like. And even though the documentary is unapologetically from the Palestinian perspective, even when you consider that, just it changes your mind. It changes mm-hmm. how you think about the conflict for sure. Even if it's sympathetic, there's just it's really hard to not be sympathetic to the Palestinian people once you see what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would also suggest that, and that's available on Netflix. Great, thank you. Mm-hmm. Shifting gears, have you heard of Jordan Peterson, Mel? I have. On tw- I've been spending a lot of time on Twitter now yeah. that school's over. Yeah. What do you think? So of, I have. What do you think of good old Jor- Jordan Peterson, who was well, just profiled in the New York Times this week? I mean, what aspect? I just let's give let's give some context. If you have, yeah, if you're lucky exp- enough right. to not be familiar with Jordan Peterson yet, he just kind of exploded on the scene as this like pop intellectual. He is a professor or was a professor, and wrote a book. That got really, really fucking popular with a particular sort of segment of mostly men. And now he's everywhere. And he pushes this sort of what I think of as the sort of like pop psychology, evolutionary biology framed self-help stuff that's really fascinating to me for a lot of reasons, but is also incredibly misogynistic, incredibly vitriolic and really feeds into what is now being what people know of as incel. So the sort of misogyny, anti-women, men's groups. So that sort of background. Let me give some examples of what this means by quoting him from this profile that was just released. 
So this is this is the reporter. The left, he believes, refuses to admit that men might be in charge because they are better at it. Peterson, quote, the people who hold that our culture is an oppressive patriarchy, they don't want to admit that the current hierarchy might be predicated on competence, he said. So that's a great segment. So in this next quote, he's responding to the Toronto killer who was killing men recently. I think that happened last month. So he says, violent attacks are what happens when men do not have partners, Mr. Peterson says, and society needs to work to make sure those men are married. Quote, he was angry at God because women were rejecting him, Mr. Peterson says of the Toronto killer. The cure for that is enforced monogamy. That's actually why monogamy emerges. Mr. Peterson does not pause when he says that. Enforced monogamy is, to him, simply a rational solution. Otherwise, women will all go for the most high-status men, he explains, and that couldn't make either gender happy in the end. So that's a glimpse of his defense of patriarchal and misogynistic-based killings also. Uh, and his solution for that is, mono- you know, enforced monogamy. As Jessica Valenti tweeted, Jordan Peterson is just as rapey as you suspected, And uh, based on that quote. And so – and in addition to his sort of like, here's my philosophical ideas about the state of the left and gender, he also will have things in his book like – to be to be a good man and make it in the world, stand up straight and clean your room. And like that'll be a sentence and people will be like, oh, my God. So I'm going to pause. I have a thesis about all this, but Melody, response? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my response <laughs> is actually, huh? And also it reminds me of how arguments like this help perpetrate – or wait, help – Perpetrate? No. I was going to say perpetrate. Snappies. (laughs) How arguments like these perpetuate rape culture Mm -hmm. because a a former student of mine sent me an article this week and wanted my take on it. And basically, he was really upset by the headline. And the headline read, I'm going to mess it up, but like, let's just say 30% of men will rape women even if they know that there is consequences. And he wasn't mad that that is true or not. But if you actually read the article and the study, it's a, it was a very small study. It's not, I would not say that it's scientifically valid, but what the study actually showed is that men don't understand what rape is. And Mm. so they would describe behavior and say like, yeah, I would totally do that. Why would there be consequences for mm. that and not understand that it's rape? And I'm not saying that that's on that's the excuse or something, but I think when we have men, Peterson out there saying the things that he does, it just perpetuates this very unclear for men who don't mm-hmm. like have critical thinking skills or something. They honestly don't think that what they're doing is sexual assaults. Right. And I've had plenty of young women come and talk to me and say like, "Well, I I actually don't think that he knew that it was assault. Like, I knew it was assault because it felt bad and I didn't, like, want it. But I tried to talk to him about it and he didn't even see it as assault. And I would say that these kind of arguments help men s- remain confused about mm-hmm. – and and I don't I don't know what to do with that. It just yeah. – reading through his stuff, it's just like, oh, my God, you are not – you are not helping. You're just making this so much more confusing and you're making it – you're creating a lot more work for us. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think it connects to something that I've been feeling when I've been reading about him for the past, I don't know, probably a couple months, is that I'm really interested in how he is become I'm, – I'm really interested in, like, the self-help stuff that comes in in his work because I think it's interesting to think about the lack of space that men in U.S. culture – are allowed to explore self-care, right? Like totally. self-care has exploded yep. for women yep. and uh, – or people socialized female, you know, people – I mean, and, and people who break those boundaries but feel, you know, safe enough in particular ways to do that. But in terms of sort of how we treat masculine of center people, particularly, you know, cis men in particular, in society, 
does not allow them space to explore all the amazing things that we all we talk about on the show. We you know, I follow on my Instagram feeds. I connect a lot of this to like the community, the witch community and like, you know, the feminist witch community and how there's this beautiful space of women and or feminine of center people and or anybody who, you know, queer in some way who feels like they can sort of explore this this lifestyle, basically, who can hold both taking care of themselves in really profound and healing ways and also like simultaneously critiquing capitalism and critiquing gender constructs. It's just this beautiful space and you get all of those things and it's healing and it feeds you and you feel a sense of belonging. For men, incel and other sort of men's rights kinds of groups, etc., and I'm not trying to fucking blame like us for not creating space in whatever fucking witch culture or whatever, but I am trying to just make a statement or an observation that I think the lack of that means that men are sort of robbed of those um, spaces of belonging and spaces of healing. And I think that it's interesting that when this fucking misogynist comes out with a book that has like, you will feel better if you make your bed, like, which is a thing that is true that we've probably read or heard from our therapist. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a small thing, but then it create. but instead of being in the context of like, now go out and fight patriarchy because these structures matter and like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, now go out and blame women and find yourself to be, you know, try to become the superior gender again because that's what's actually important. So that's just like my – that's what I think about a lot is because I feel so grateful to be not socially stigmatized from indulging the things that make me feel okay and – not that that gives men an excuse to fucking rape people or kill people, women in particular, <laughs> but I am interested in how Jordan Peterson fills this gap. Does that make sense? Definitely. I don't think, obviously, he should be the person filling the gap, but Definitely not. <laughs> I echo everything that you said about there needing to be more space for masculine of center people to be able to explore their feelings and I know we've mentioned this podcast or this documentary before. The Mask You Live In mm-hmm. is really good and also Tough Guys, which is mm-hmm. more media centric. But in both of those documentaries, it shows very clearly that men need more space to talk about their feelings. And one reason why anger and violence tend to be perpetuated, these documentaries argue is because men don't have that space to talk about their feelings mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's yeah and it's all because of the performance of masculinity in our right. culture that right keeps them from talking even if they want to talk they they're told that they're not supposed to talk about their feelings if right. it's beyond anger and i don't really know how to fix that besides, you know, continually talking about going to therapy, but that it becomes a thing that women do. Like you yeah. mentioned early on that it's, it's we, people who are masculine of center or f- sorry, uh, feminine of center, th- we get a lot more space to yeah. explore our feelings. And I hope that things are changing. I don't want this guy to be at the forefront, but it does show that there needs to be a space where men actually work out some of these feelings that are really hard for us to listen to. Right. You know, and it might be some of the stuff like that's really misogynistic. But then just like we have to listen to white people being racist as F, we get that out and then we keep, per- you know, we keep processing past that. Right. Right. And so it does show that like because there's so many men that are drawn to this, mm-hmm. uh, that says something that we, we really do need to be having some conversations. Yeah. Women and femmes and people who aren't socialized male in particular ways on the left broadly have gone out of their way to make spaces for healing. And I think I think the left of this is me thinking like broadly in like social movement revolutionary terms, but I feel like men on the left need to be the ones to create spaces for that because they're down. Like I feel like genuine feminist men, genuine leftist men uh, with many exceptions, but you know, in theory, they're anti-patriarchy, right? And could be the ones to be like, instead of coming to this meeting and being like perpetuating machismo 
or, you know, fucking other sort of matcha revolutionary stuff, which can be fun and exciting. But like, hey, also, like, we're going to also talk about our feelings and we're also going to which is happening all over the place in like queer and predominantly women and femme spaces in sort of social movement and activist culture. But I think not as much in spaces that aren't predominantly women or queer folks. Um, So I think that's sort of, I mean, in terms of like action items, leftist men, if you are listening, like create those spaces because we want, we want people, men, we want people who feel like they don't belong to feel like they can belong on the right side of things, not the, well, on the left side of things, not the right side of things. (laughs) That's my thought. But then also, I mean, I feel like the people that wouldn't be drawn to our leftist spaces are the ones that really need to be doing some of the talking. Um, Yeah, true. Misogyny comes in all sorts of different spaces, but I feel like the ones that are going to be in this like incel community. Yes. Those are the ones that I don't have contact with, which is... But so much of this happens on the internet, which is why like... Like, the leftist internet is such a terrible, toxic place, and everybody's mean to each other. And I know, so... But, but I I don't know where... It, that's true. That's true. You know? Yes. I was just going to go one step further and say, because a lot of this stuff happens on the internet, both in leftist spaces and other spaces, like, that means any of us could get involved in some of the interventions. Yeah, true. But there's just spaces on the... But I'm going to counter myself by saying there's spaces on the internet that I didn't even know existed I know, to do yeah. that it's like, I can't find them. You know, like, yeah. I don't even know where to go. Like, yeah. I, And so it's really about having the community take care of itself, which is good, right? Yeah. Um. So I guess maybe I'm like, now I'm just like arguing with myself that it's like, okay, well, I cannot reach the bros that hang out at the bars right. all night and try to pick up drunk ladies. I can't because that's right. not my space. Right. But I, I do have a, another space in which I know that sexual assault and harassment and misogyny still continues, even if they, even if these guys say that they don't yes. partake in any of that. Yes. And so I can work in that space. And then yes. hopefully it would be like a rhizomatic impact. Um, Look at you just quoting name drop in Deleuzian terms. I like it. Thank you. I really like the rhizomatic. So for people that don't know that term, it is instead of like one straight path, it is like think about roots underground and how roots will like start intertwining with each other. If you have like the creeping Charlie weed in your yard, God, I'm turning into such a garden nerd. (laughs) Uh, That is also very rhizomatic. So it doesn't just go up or across, like it spreads out. And so I just really like that so instead of having like a direct impact it'll spread itself out like roots underground i just like that visual it helps i do too i use that word and i don't mean to sound elitist it's just a no it's a great that's why theory is so beautiful like it explains exactly what you wanted wanted you can say hegemony and that's such a complex term but i know exactly what you mean by that too so right right yeah i love hegemony i love the concept of hegemony do you have sorry side tangent here did you read Antonio Antonio Gramsci's letters from prison, like yes. those books. Yeah, I haven't. Do you think it's worth reading? Am I going to totally nerd out and get into it, or do you think I know? Like, does it help um, dig further into it's Germany? Been, I mean, I think it's an important an important text, especially if you love that concept. I think I you do. should read it. There's okay. like one. There's like one essay you can read that you don't have to read the whole thing. You can read one essay and you can really get it. I can send it Which to I'm you. sure I did read. In yeah, like, I'm sure. Where I learned it, but okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Nerd, Thank nerd you. moment end. Rachel, we didn't find incel, did, did we? We were talking about it. We didn't. Do you want to quickly explain what that stands for and what it encompasses? Yep. So it means basically that it's men that are in, quote, involuntarily celibate. It's <laughs> ridiculous. I'm just going to define it. <laughs> yep. uh, and it's often, like Rachel mentioned, it's it's online. So it's an online community of men, and they're united around their ability or inability to have women have sex with them. So it's our fault that we don't want to have sex with them. And right. so they're mad at us. And so they're involuntarily celibate. They would love to have lots of sex with women, but they just can't. And it's our fault. Yep. Anyways, we were just name dropping that word. Yeah. And I'm sure you could have guessed by context what that meant, but that is the official definition. So yeah. I'm really, so, just feel really bad involuntarily celibate. So. Right. I know. Tragic. <laughs> We're almost out of time yep. in our world. And so we did want to talk about some Trumpisms, things that Trump is trying to pass through in our government, our legislation. And one of them is about 
abortion laws, which I just love when they mm-hmm. just start chipping away at our rights, mm-hmm. uh, our body, our rights. Can I explain this one, Rachel? Please Is that all right? Do. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So basically, they're going to lose fund. So clinics that refer people to abortion services would not qualify for federal funding. So that's Planned Parenthood. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, that's... This is just yet another example. So this is similar to when different states were saying, if you don't have like a hospital, basically, in five miles of your abortion mm-hmm. clinic, then you're going to get shut down. And it lit- it worked. Like, they shut mm-hmm. them down. So basically, mm-hmm. like, even though we have the right to abortion, this is this chipping away tactic where they're like, they just make up rules. This isn't banning abortion. It's just making abortion more difficult to gain access to. I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. I mean, except just know that it's happening and then yeah. please call your <laughs> your elected officials and tell them to fight against it. I mean, the ability to pass this would be very easy with, with the Senate and House makeup that we have right now. But I mean, I, I'm not sure. Maybe I would suggest maybe following former guest of the show, Shireen Shakuri on Twitter. This is exactly the kind of stuff that her organization uh, thinks about. So maybe give her a follow if you haven't already. And totally. obviously, I'm Many other Planned Parenthood, for example, also, and and lots of other feminist and abortion centered uh, organizations. But yeah, it's I just think it's important to not forget that this is this is, as you said, being chipped away at and that that's scary. (sighs) Hey, another thing that I know Trump likes to chip away at. A lot of Republicans don't like the welfare system and the ability to give people who are under or unemployed money to get by and also access to food. So what is he can you explain what he's doing on this one? Yeah, so this is interesting because he is basically trying to pass something that would make unemployment benefits easier to obtain. Ultimately the way it would pan out is that white rural folks would get benefits more easily than black urban folks regardless of their sort of, you know, poverty level or income level. And the reason that this would happen is because instead of instead, obviously, he can't say that, although he says a lot of fucking blatantly racist shit, but he didn't actually say that explicitly. Basically, what the law is, is that it's based on the average of unemployment. So because there is less unemployment in urban spaces, because there's more people and more people who end up having jobs versus like the rural areas, which our show next week will delve into a lot more. There's going to be less employment, not only based on sort of population, but also just the way that poverty works in rural spaces is different than the way poverty works in urban spaces. And so, of course, given the way that, you know, we're still living in a system that resulted in white flight, you know, from the cities, we still have cities that are predominantly or people of color are predominantly still in urban spaces. And so this is ultimately going to end up hurting POC in the city and not necessarily white rural, rural folks as much. It'll actually be easier for them to get to get unemployment benefits. So I'm interested in that because, one, it's obviously fucking racist. But two, I think that he, Trump's administration thinks that this is going to be a way to, like, solidify support of white rural people that I think, you know, the media has constructed is like as his base, like, you know, poor white folks who are racists, you know, in the South or whatever, even though we there are plenty of studies that show that it's actually wealthier people that are the ones who are supporting Trump, including like young white women. So not trying to wash our hands of being fucking, you know, complicit. So I I just think that's interesting, because I think that I don't know that it's going to pan out uh, the way that he, the administration thinks. Like, I don't think that I have more faith in white rural folks to not all be bigoted Trump supporters, is I think my point. And I think this law is assuming that they are and that this will continue to garner their support, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, just to do a summary of this new law that he's trying to pass, if you don't, if you basically, it's like work to get money, like you have to work to get money they always Mm -hmm. want like what did they call what did bill clinton do like right he had some Uh, slogan welfare to work welfare to work yes welfare to work yeah so basically they want you working like you can't because they assume that there's this like i don't know who it is it's jack jack just like collects unemployment and then doesn't try to get a job and so if you've ever been on unemployment you have to like send in proof that you've been looking for a job and 
it's just re it's perpetuating this myth that we have like lazy bums sitting around just collecting unemployment. And while mm-hmm. there might be like a few people like that, that's not the majority. And mm-hmm. so, okay, to summarize this thing, you have to work a certain amount of hours, um, especially if you're in a place that has low unemployment. So you should be getting a job, but they're going to waive that regulation if you're in a area that has a high unemployment rate, meaning that it's very unlikely for you to be able to get a job. And those Mm -hmm. high unemployment areas tend to be where rural white people live. Mm -hmm. Correct. Although, you know, what would be interesting, I don't know, I'm sure there might be some like data mapping on this, but the majority of people that get welfare are white people. And so not all of those white people live in these in these rural centers. And so that means that there are going to be a lot of white people on welfare that will be negatively impacted by this as well. But I guess via your analysis, it is more politically advantageous for them to do this. So they maintain this rural base that seems to be unwavering in their support. Is that a good summary of what you were just saying? You did a much better job explaining the policy. So thank you (laughs) than I did. That was great. That was a super clear overview. I was just more like, this And yes, I think that's what they think. And my my interjection in my comment to that was that I actually don't know that that is actually the case, that, that these white folks, these rural white folks a are actually as much of the, his base as as he thinks, and B that this would like confirm that because if they're not th- there as much as he thinks they are, then it's not going to like affirm it. So I don't know. We'll see. Time will tell. Those are some I current love, events. I love when Republicans take away our rights. Yeah, it's really it's, fun. It's awesome. It's super awesome. Okay, shall we quickly end with an RWL? Mm, yes. I don't have a lot new to share, but I will repeat two of the three things that I said last week. I'm still reading Carrot's memoir, Carrot Quinn's memoir, Through Hiking Will Break Your Heart. I am watching Cuba Libre, which is the documentary about Cuba on Netflix. It's a multi-part series, so I'm still watching that and still relatively impressed with their coverage, I have to say. And I am listening to, I'll try to say something new for this. I A new podcast that I'm finally listening to is Season of the Bitch, which had been recommended to me and I'd seen floating around, but I started listening and it is very solid and not so different from what we do on our show. Feminist ladies talking about politics. It's pretty good. You? I am reading Carrot Quinn's book, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but also uh, I just another shout out because that book is like. It's so good. It's like my, mm-hmm. uh, it's like one of those books where like you can't wait to come home so you could read more of it. Mm-hmm. I'm also reading, I will be vulnerable. I'm reading this book called be- Beyond Codependency. So mm. it's like Codependency 201. I just needed mm-hmm. a little refresher. That's why I like my self-help books. You might think that you're like getting better at something and then you're like, oop, you slip up and you need a little reminder. <sighs> Progress so, isn't linear. I have to remind myself of that a lot. Yep. Yep. It gets really frustrating sometimes when mm-hmm. you're like, I thought I fixed this about yep. myself. <laughs> yep. Turns out it doesn't work that way. Yeah. No. Yeah. But it's like, I'm watching... All right, I got to be on. This is like Melody being honest podcast. I love it. You know, those like the like Dateline in 2020s, like come on before the evening news on like Friday nights, Thursday and Friday nights. Yeah. I've been yes. watching those. Yeah. They're so they're so bad. <laughs> yeah. But they're so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have to be careful. Like they have to be, I can't do like sexual assault ones, but right. like I remember my mom used to watch them and I would yeah. just sit on, lay on the floor and watch them too. Yeah. Little nostalgia, very junky, yeah. like junk food. Right. Totally. Yep. Uh, Yeah. I've been turning my TV on more lately. So take that for what you will. Yeah. Listening. I also started listening to a new podcast to me called Ideal Futures, which you already knew about. Mm -hmm. But that's been cool to listen to. It's just hosted by two people and they talk about femmes doing creative stuff and like, you know, along business lines too. And so that's been, it's been good for me. It's a good time to listen to that kind of stuff because now that I'm on summer break, I could like really envision me doing things like that. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Did did you listen to the Virgie Tovar episode yet? No, I've just, I was listening from the beginning and then I was, I was just going to listen there for, I got through their first episode and then I was going to like kind of bounce around. But you suggest that one? Yeah, I, lo- I love Virgie Tovar so much, and it's like a, it's a really it's a really good interview. She's always really good. Um, oh, Virgie yeah. Tovar is a 
fat activist, woman of color, really rad speaker. And just <laughs> FYI for people, because we talk about her book so much, one of the hosts is Sarah Faith Gottensteiner, who does the Many Moons book. So, so for- Oh my God, I didn't even know that. Oh, really? Yeah. No, that's Sarah. No. That's, <laughs> that's her. I don't know if I want to keep listening to it. Oh, no. no. It's just... like sometimes like when you find out the picture, like what yeah. the NPR host looks like, and you're like, hmm. Right, right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, that was very bold of me to say I don't want to listen to it anymore. No, I was I... just processing that out right, loud. Right, right. That's all good. Huh. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. All right. WTF. Power. Don't make me send my eyes out. Bow with the out loud. Black man, black sash. Better lean to the left when I soak on the whip. Gotta hook me left. I don't even got.